The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I am Diana Marzalek with Provoke Media and my guest today is Jack Temple. Jack is a VP at Berlin Rosen. I appreciate you coming and chatting with us, Jack. Thanks so much, Diana. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, you work in a um, kind of a combo here, right, of sustainability and, and finance. Is that correct? Do you want to explain to me, please, and our listeners, um, your, your arena of specialty? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting because, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an emerging field in a way. And so there really hasn't been one term that I think a lot of communications practitioners have really settled on. But essentially, um, sustainable finance, like you said, I think a term that's used often is ESG, actually, uh, which is an abbreviation for environmental, uh, social, and governance um, issues comes out of the finance world. But the bottom line is basically, um, in my line of work, working with clients, whether they're companies, investor coalitions, uh, foundations, or nonprofits that are trying to tell a story about corporate America or businesses more broadly being a force for social good. Uh, and driving social change. That's kind of the bottom line. I think uh, if we assume that companies, <clears throat> and especially large public companies, have for decades really operated on this idea that their main you know, fundamental mission is to deliver profits, uh, deliver gains for shareholders. Um, right now, and really over the last you know, several years especially, there's been a groundswell of interest in hearing stories about another and really equally uh, kind of urgent mission for the private sector, uh, which is promoting social good um, and social change and using the scale of the private sector um, to really promote, um, to mo- promote social equity. Um, which we have covered. So we've covered, you know, sort of this new era or, or emerging era of um, corporate social responsibility and activism and activist CEOs. Mm-hmm. What struck me is the way you described your arena is a little bit different is sustainable investment. Mm-hmm. Um, is that different than, um, I, I, I guess I understand that the ESG movement, movements require investment, but is this, mm-hmm. more, but is, do you focus more on actual money? Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, <clears throat> that's the central kind of currency through which a lot of this, literally through which a lot of this works, but it's not the only one actually. So I think um, a lot of the media attention, and I think that's maybe what's most important here is really looking at how investors um, are really pushing CEOs, boards, uh, and companies more broadly to balance the interests, um, not just of themselves, not just of their investors, but um, but really of all stakeholders that are affected by corporate behavior. And that includes workers, that includes communities, and includes the environment. Um, and that's really where a lot of the media um, attention uh, in this space has been focused. Um, you're looking at, and it's, it's really kind of large, like institutional investors um, that are really focused on the long term. And that's that's really what their motivation is here. Um, it's not short-term financial gains. It's really like, look, we need a, we're going to deliver returns for retirees, right? Um, or others that we're responsible for managing investments for. It would be helpful 
if we had a climate in 20 years and if we had an economy um, that was still functioning in 20 years. And so it's less about hitting, you know, quarterly earnings goals and more about making sure that we have a society um, that's sustainable um, and that's equitable and that can actually thrive for everyone uh, over the long term. Uh, and the private sector has a huge indispensable role to play in that and investors are increasingly recognizing that they have a responsibility to push the companies that they effectively own um, to to really do that. Um, but they're not the only uh, they're not the only kind of actor um, in this space. Um, I would say that especially over the last several months, something that we've noticed is that frontline workers really themselves um, have been mobilizing to push companies um, to really balance their priorities um, and to invest in investing workers and investing companies. Um, you've also seen something that I think is remarkable. Um, again, recently, uh, when you see the protests that have been happening uh, you know, nationwide um, around police violence and more broadly around racial justice, there's been a really sharp focus, <clears throat> not just on elected leaders, uh, not just on changing the laws, which are critical, but also on changing private sector practices, um, you know, really putting equity and inclusion at the center of the way companies operate. Um, and that's another, you know, kind of community-based demand. So there's investors, there's workers, and you're seeing um, communities uh, alike really increasingly sort of step up and become more vocal uh, in demanding that um, that companies really uh, use their resources and use their scale uh, to promote social good. Well, I know historically, our or we've always thought of you know business interests. Part of me, business interests mm -hmm. not necessarily being compatible with you know what advocates are looking for, and I'm wondering if this is a change in that mindset um, or are in, or is investing in these um, these components these sustainability these diversity initiatives these these mm -hmm. larger things actually a good business plan at this point is it is it a change in yeah. mindset of where their their sort of loyalty lies or where the economy will will work best or both yeah, I think I think it's both, but I definitely think it's the financial imperative that's driving um, a lot of this um, progress and a lot of the interest in the media uh, in telling these kinds of stories. It's because investors know it's not just the right thing to do; it's the financially prudent thing to do. Um, there was a actually there was a study that was put out um, maybe about a month ago at this point that was looking at the financial performance uh, of public companies in the U.S. Um, really just over the period since the pandemic has hit, so over the last maybe three to six months or so. Um, but it was looking at companies that <clears throat> actually made investments in their frontline workforce that adopted protections that were good for their workers, that adopted reforms that were good for their customers. In other words, that really kind of um, followed through on this kind of commitment to really balance the interests um, of their of all stakeholders um, affected by corporate behavior. And it compared the financial performance of those kinds of companies to ones that didn't make any kind of changes like that, that were really focused just on you know, profits, um, trying to you know, offset any kind of loss and maximize uh, their gains during this time. And what it showed is that companies that actually balanced the interests uh, of workers, of communities, 
of others um, actually outperformed financially uh, relative to those that were focused squarely on profits alone. And it, it's not too surprising, but it is different than the kind of conversations that we usually see um, in the business media. It does show um, that, you know, when you have a workforce that uh, is safe going to work every day, that is paid a living wage, um, that has, you know, good benefits and, uh, you know, and is protected on the job, <clears throat> they're going to be more productive. There's going to be less turnover. Um, and it's ultimately kind of the foundation of a more resilient uh, and profitable business model in the long term. And I think that's why it's really that conclusion about the financial uh, kind of outperformance of companies <clears throat> that operate in a sustainable way um, that are kind of part of this broader ESG movement. I think that's what's inspired a lot of the media landscape to really change um, over the last year. There's been, um, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen, an explosion um, of interest in the media around covering the intersection of uh, the private sector and kind of social good and social purpose and how companies, whether they're CEOs uh, or whether they're investors um, or other uh, kind of private sector leaders are using their resources, their power um, to really promote um, social change. And, you know, there are a few examples that are striking. I mean, and that was a little over a year ago, the Financial Times launched an entire new vertical uh, that they're calling Moral Money um, that has done fantastic coverage um, of kind of the broader ESG movement, looking at individual companies, but also looking at trends um, across the private sector. And, you know, it's a sort of obviously legacy historic um, business and financial outlet um, that now has this kind of established platform for covering specifically uh, ESG issues um, in the private sector. And I think it's because their readers recognize that these are uh, critical uh, insights that we need to have in order to make financial decisions. In other words, knowing how companies are performing, knowing who the leaders are uh, out there in, uh, in the private sector uh, in promoting social change and social good, um, that's important to us as investors, that's important to us as asset managers, as, as money managers, um, because, uh, because it's critical to being able to, over the long term, to live, uh, deliver a, a stronger financial performance. Um, so it's interesting. And the Financial Times is only one example. I mean, uh, Bloomberg um, has an entire Bloomberg Green um, <clears throat> vertical now that's really focused mostly on environmental issues. It's the E in the ESG. Um, and there and you know there've been uh, many more fortune um, continues to to really invest a lot of really excellent coverage um, on ESG issues. Um, outlets like Times and the Journal uh, don't have their own vertical on this subject yet, but the amount of coverage uh, and their journalists um, on the business desk are are really investing more kind of reporting than ever um, on these issues and. I think it's a trend we can continue to expect to grow, really. And for communicators, I think it's important to recognize that this is an important opening to tell your story, uh, whether you're working for a company that's trying to um, kind of convey to new audiences um, how you're really promoting uh, greater social equity for your workers, um, up and down your supply chain um, for the communities in which you operate. Um, this is a media landscape um, that needs to be taken seriously. And I think if you're on um, 
kind of the other side of things. Uh, you're either an investor um, or you're part of a sort of coalition or advocacy group that's really focused on pushing companies to do better um, on ESG issues. This is a vital media landscape for you to, to take advantage of um, because it's not um, it's not isolated. It's you know it's you know space right in some of the key kind of financial um, and business news outlets that are central to decision makers in this space um, every day. Well, with increased coverage of this um, this arena and companies' actions in it, do you see companies? Um, is, is there sort of that watchdog or um, holding companies accountable factor? I mean, the spotlight the spotlight's on. Um, mm -hmm. So is that going to motivate companies even more so to step up or at least step things up quicker? I think so because um, because it's not you know the the kind of coverage that's emerging in this space over the last year. Um, you know, it's it's critical too. Um, and what I mean by that is like it's you know typical story in this space. Um, you'll see you know a new study that comes out looking at um, you know the state of um, kind of uh, the state of here's a good example. It's kind of the state of, of uh, racial equity and inclusion um, across the 1,000 kind of largest public companies um, in in the country. Uh, and it'll look at the data and actually look at what's been disclosed and who's doing well and who's not. And sadly, there aren't that many strong performers in that space right now. But um, but the it's all laid out there um, for the audience to see. And so it's not puff stories. And I think for communicators, that's important to understand is that the space is not a platform to kind of tell a traditional sort of feel-good story about you know your company donating X to some charitable cause, even if that's critical still and important. Um, really, what this kind of journalistic um, space is focused on is looking at how companies are using their own, um, you know, how companies are treating their own employees, their own customers. In other words, kind of using their own resources. Um, to promote social good um, and equity kind of within their own within their own house, um, so to speak. And so, you know, it's really the, the coin of the realm there is transparency and data um, that's going to be increasingly critical. Um, just like how, you know, we talk about financial returns, right? Um, if you look at coverage in the journal or the Financial Times, um, you don't get vague statements about, yeah, we're in strong financial condition or, yeah, we're, you know, we expect strong profits. Um, these stories are based on data, um, on earnings, on underlying kind of financial performance. And it's that same rigor, whether it's looking at wages for your workforce, um, you know, demographic uh, characteristics of your workforce, uh, what your carbon footprint is. Uh, across these ESG issues, kind of tracking in a really quantitative and uh, direct way how companies are performing. That's where this media landscape is headed. And, you know, there's not a lot of room for spin there. So I think it's incumbent on, um, on communicators in this space to work with, you know, whether it's a company that you're working for, whether it's an investor, to really put database stories um, at the center of your work. Is this a challenge for um, communicators who have sort of worked in traditional financial um, services? Some, with, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're having to change. The businesses are having to change, but I imagine communicators are also having to retrain themselves a little bit because it's not just the sort of right. business or money story. Right. No, that's actually, that's a great question. I mean, it's interesting. Um, I think 
that yes, there is a certain amount of kind of um, retooling um, that communicators typically have to do if you're used to sort of more traditional um, financial communications the way the way it's always been done. Um, because a, you're in, in some ways you're talking to um, in some ways you're talking to the same audience. Uh, you know, you're trying to communicate. This is important, you know, not just for companies to talk to advocates or talk to foundations, but really to talk to their own investors, to talk to their boards. Um, and so in that case, your experience as a financial communicator will serve you well because you know how to engage those audiences, right? Um, those are the same audiences that you've been engaging for years um, or on traditional kind of financial topics. And so you want to keep those same skills that you've learned um, about what moves those audiences, what reaches those audiences, the kinds of outlets um, that are important for those audiences. That all um, will serve you well, but um, but it's important to know that there's a there's an equally high standard when talking about ESG issues. It's not kind of vague statements or commitments or uh, um, you know uh, more general sort of announcements. Um, you want to bring that same rigor, that same kind of data based storytelling to talking about how you're treating your workers, how you're uh, you know treating suppliers. Um, the environment, um, those same kind of standards here really apply. Is there a similar effect on the communicators who work in sustainability issues, Arena? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I actually think there is a little bit of kind of retooling that you have to do. It's funny, I mean, in my in my career, I kind of work on on both sides. My my roots are really in in kind of working in um, more traditional. Uh, of advocacy uh, and issue campaigns um, kind of come out of working specifically on labor issues, um, efforts to campaigns to raise the minimum wage. And um, so I, I've had an interesting kind of perspective um, coming from an advocacy space um, in terms of how to tell stories about private sector impact on social good um, in a way that will resonate with a bunch of different audiences, traditional kind of financial audiences, but that will also meet um, advocates and issue uh, campaigners kind of where they are as well. I think for those, um, to your question, on the kind of more issue or, or advocacy side of things, um, I think putting, you know, stressing that this is not just about the right thing to do, that there's not just kind of a moral imperative here, but that this is really about the underlying financial imperative um, for companies. That's going to be key, and it's not always central. Um, to how a lot of advocates tend to communicate <clears throat> on the issues that they're focused on. Um, but when you're trying to reach the private sector, uh, it's critical. And the good news is that the, the data are kind of on your side. Um, the, you know, it's clear that, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, companies that prioritize and invest in their workers, um, that promote um, equity and inclusion that do well by the environment, these companies are more financially resilient over the long term. Um, and so that story kind of can't be told uh, told loudly enough. And it's one that resonates both for financial, uh, you know, for financial audiences and advocacy and issue campaign audiences alike. Well, I mentioned that is um, either part of the challenge or also part of kind of the um, growth of, of where different individuals or different different groups or different interests stay because advocacy and business has had this sort of historic um, 
I don't want to say animosity, but butting heads, right? Different interests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even in what we're discussing, even in the socially responsible investing, they still may have different interests over the long term or be motivated by different interests, but they're looking for the same end game, correct? I think that's right. I think that, um, I mean, yes, they are. They're, they're, you know, businesses are looking, um, you know, fundamentally to demonstrate kind of strong financial performance over the long term. And if looking at ESG issues is a prudent kind of management strategy, which it is, um, then that's something um, for them to consider. And on the advocate side, there's no way that you can drive social change at scale um, without getting the private sector on board. It just can't happen. Um, the, the, you know, the public sector, the philanthropic sector um, combined, they have nowhere near the scale and reach um, of the private sector, even if you just look at, you know, their size and the overall GDP. So, um, so there is a shared, to your point, you know, both sides kind of have a collective interest um, in wanting to get in wanting to get to the same place. I do think there are still, um, you know, especially on the finance side, there are still, you know, some outdated ideas um, about what makes for strong financial performance over the long term. Um, and so, you know, it's people holding on to, you know, what have really been kind of decades long um, views that the only um, sole responsibility of a business is to drive profits and to take anything else into consideration um, is to kind of distract from that central mission. I think a sea change is happening generationally. Um, and like I say, the, the data coming out um, really show that that, that that view is outdated. And I think that will eventually change minds um, more within the C-suite. But um, but it's still the case that you know a lot of a lot of um, a lot of you know executives uh, and those um, you know in the in the finance world kind of still hold on to those views and and are focused really only on the short term. And so I think that what we'll see is that um, you know as more and more data kind of come out on this, as you know looking at the media um, as these stories about companies prioritizing ESG issues become more mainstream, more central, and more fully integrated into the central kind of business narrative, um, you'll see, you know, attitudes um, change even more so. And I'm, of course, I can't speak for you, but I imagine considering your background in advocacy and now working in this arena, you do believe in that, both in, both in the, um, in, in the benefit of ESG, but also that there is this change that will take hold that will people that the traditional mindsets will be broken yeah i do i'm i'm hopeful for it um for sure um because it's it's aligned with my values but i do think that look i mean i think that um you know to one of the points i was saying earlier it's the good news is that it's not just about convincing the private sector to do the right thing, right? Um, or to do, you know, to do what's nicer, you know, or to do the, the kind of moral um, imperative here. There really is an underlying financial gain um, as a company to doing right by your workers and the environment and your community. And so, um, you know, I, over the long term, businesses that do that are going to succeed, and those that don't aren't going to. Um, and from the media uh, side of things, that dynamic is going to play out as well. Companies that have a powerful story to tell, a database kind of story to tell about how they're really serving
stories for good um, in society and across the economy, um, those stories are going to become more prominent um, and are going to, you know, kind of dominate um, the, the arena in a way that, you know, companies that are really kind of narrowly focused just on their own profits, um, they'll either kind of recede or, or be faced with, you know, increasingly critical and scrutinizing um, media attention. And I think, you know, you can look just in the last few months and ask Amazon um, how it's been to kind of navigate the media environment um, in this kind of post uh, in this pandemic, um, you know, uh, with the pandemic that we're facing. I think that that's a preview of the kind of dynamics that are going to play out in this space in the media, um, you know, over the long term. All right. Well, I appreciate your insight. We'll definitely keep uh, abreast of that and watching and as the media and all this takes hold. So I appreciate your conversation with us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate it. Okay. Take care. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.